This is Thoughts on the Table by DisgracesOnTheMenu.com. Hello and welcome to the audio blog. Paolo here again with another episode and today with a new guest. And my guest today is Mark Preston. Hi, Mark. Good morning, Paolo. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, Mark uncovered my blog somehow through the web. And uh, he, we started talking about some of his published um, articles. So Mark is a blogger, but he's also a food writer and actually a published, as I found out, a cookbook writer uh, uh, who published a, a very interesting book on the history of uh, an extinct cuisine, the California Mission Cookery. So again, I'm always very excited when I get an opportunity to speak with uh, uh, an author and an actual food historian, I like to call you, uh, because, um, you know, what the type of research that you did uh, professionally is uh, a little bit what I'm striving to do, but I'm an amateur, of course, at it. So, Mark, I'm glad you accepted to be in this podcast and to have an opportunity to talk with you in person. Thanks again, Paolo. It's a joy to be doing this podcast with you today. And I hope that the uh, uh, disgraces on the menu fans will find us to have uh, enlightened them even further. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you, Mark. So let's, let's um, talk a little bit about how we started our conversation, because I think it's interesting for people to have a little bit of perspective. So Mark was writing an article about the Italian meat sauce called ragù. Uh, I'm going to say it with Italian accent. Ragu. So, ragu is uh, one of those ancient recipes that really we don't have an official written uh, recipe for. Um, just like many traditional recipes, they come from oral tradition and they uh, evolve, uh, you know, in the various Italian families over the years. And there's really not even, it doesn't even make sense to, to have a, an ultimate recipe uh, for these uh, dishes. But one can still try, and I think it's fun to, to try and do that and see if we can come up with something. So that's precisely what Mark did. He, he went through and found the official, the most official publications, even in the Italian language. He also um, looked for their corresponding English translations, which were oftentimes quite distorted. So again, the conversation started there and, as usual, evolved in all different directions. <laughs> so, Mark, what was the story for you about ragu? What is the end result that you've, uh, you've come across there? Well, uh, uh, by way of just a short preface, uh, how, how right it is of you to assert that there is no authoritative recipe. Mm -hmm. uh, I imagine that every family does it a little bit differently, one from another from another. That's part of the, the beauty and the, the magnificence of Italian cuisine. Uh, but having said that, as a non-Italian mm -hmm. uh, and as uh, someone from a, a nation that, uh, well, has no cuisine, certainly not in the same way, uh, I'm always on the lookout for uh, recipes that are, are not only a joy to put on the table, but a lot of fun to, to know something about mm -hmm. uh, just above and beyond the, the ingredients and the process. Absolutely. So I was going through uh, a couple of old Italian cookbooks I have in English and uh, uh, looking for this uh, sauce recipe because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to make some. <laughs> and 
all of a sudden I was finding that nothing seemed right. So I called my Italian friend, Larry. Uh, Larry is a uh, first generation American. His parents came from Bari mm-hmm. in the south of Italy and uh, opened a, a little cafe called the Over the Waves Cafe in, in uh, Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. And partially this this whole thing uh, starts with getting the marinara sauce recipe from their family. Mm-hmm. But when I talked to him about ragu, and I'm not going to try and trill my R because we just don't do that uh, <laughs> uh, as much as I would like to, uh, that's, that almost makes my tongue fall out. Uh, he said, no, no, there's never any tomato sauce and tomato paste in ragu. And that got me to thinking, well, somebody's made a mess of this recipe, and who better to explain it to the world than me? <laughs> So I spent about a month's time doing the research. And when I say research, I mean maybe two, three hours a day at times, mm-hmm. one or two days, maybe four or five hours. Mm-hmm. It was not uh, easily one information and to, to convince me that I was uh, had actually landed on the source of the recipe and had a, had a clear view of what it was, what it traditionally is. And how to go about explaining it to the to those whose only language is English? Because mm-hmm. there's certainly no point in trying to explain it to an Italian. That's weird, if not just <laughs> just downright not necessary. I think uh, it's fun to try, though, because again, we take it for granted, and in doing that, we actually miss the opportunity to uh, document it, <laughs> right? And that's uh, that's the problem, because then things will get lost. What do you think? Well, one of the great things about the internet is that we will finally be able to create a uh, a permanent record mm-hmm. of these things, and uh, anyone with access to the internet will be able to say, "Well, look, I found five different recipes, and I can take that part from this one and this part from that one." And that's how I like it. And I think mm-hmm. people should do that. I think recipes are or or theorems, but I don't think anyone should be. Uh, uh, thinking that there is no other way. Now, that's not to say there aren't some recipes that if you change it, you're not defeating the point of the recipe. But as long as you stay within the parameters, for instance, the ragu, some people might want to make two pounds of beef and one pound of veal, or others mm-hmm. might want two pounds of veal and one pound of beef. It, in that sense, I'm all for having uh, regional and familial variations. Mm-hmm as opposed to just a hard and fast, here it is, and cook it this way or else. So the only place you should do that, perhaps, is at a restaurant where your patrons are going to expect to have the same. If you're not consistent, you're going to have a real problem. Absolutely, yeah. So um, that got me started. And then I happened to be gifted a, an old cookbook from, well, old, from the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And uh, in it, it had this wonderful section on Italian cuisine, and up towards the north, there was this particular kind of recipe, and I looked the name of it up on the internet. And who came up first? But disgraces on the menu. Oh, really? Well, I was, I was just, I was, a, I was, uh, <laughs> it's it just a wonderful moment for me. Uh, I, I thought, how funny this is, and yet at the same time, how worthy to try and get people <laughs> to understand it's quattro formaggi not quattro formaggio and mm-hmm. and, and even though these are uh, grammatical mistakes there's also a, a good reason for right. um, 
authenticity in that sense. Mm -hmm. We don't want people to try something and then say, well, that was terrible or uh, that can't possibly be what the recipe is supposed to be. Precisely. So yeah. we want people to understand, I want people to understand that all recipes that come to the United States that have a terroir, that have uh, uh, why the uh, Italian wines are given a, a DOP designation, it, mm-hmm. they are tied. It's just why we want ham from Parma and mm-hmm. uh, Parmesan cheese from Parma as well. It's because that's where they originated and that's where the superlative character of them continues to to uh, evolve. And that's, that's just, uh, as a foodie, that's just super important to me. Yes, it is to me too, of course. Thanks so much for saying that. It's uh, it's my mission, and uh, um, I'm glad that you know maybe by being a little bit bold or try to be pretentious in fixing Italian food in North America, I'm actually you know stimulating some conversations, which is great. And it's one of the things you're right that we can do now uh, in this modern days of the internet. <laughs> anyway, um, that was ragu. So we talked about it. Uh, some of the conversation was around the fact that there's smoked uh, bacon uh, in uh, some of the translations, uh, maybe because the only way to translate pancetta is to use the word bacon. Yes, it's probably the closest, but it's very, very, very different, uh, and most notably because it's smoked, uh, or normally is smoked, uh, whereas pancetta exists in two very distinct forms, and I'm pretty sure that uh, my mother, in her ragu, if she does use pancetta, I'm not entirely sure, I think it's an optional uh, ingredient, but if she does use pancetta, it will be uh, the fresh dolce, it's called sweet, which is not actually smoked. So, see, this is the type of thing where, um, because of substitutions, you put in the closest word that, that you can find just to, to give a frame of reference for the person who wants to replicate the recipe but at the same time if you don't give a little background if you don't do your research (laughs) then you are distorting the dish and now you're presenting something that all of a sudden has a lot more flavor in one component and then it needs maybe another alteration somewhere else uh, to balance that and then you know you start this flavored race <laughs> where you have to put in more and more <laughs> and then you need more garlic and then you need a little bit of sugar why not and then you get southern u.s uh ragu i don't know what you come up with you know what i mean <laughs> uh well let me if i might just amplify one little point in all of this uh, un- until 25 or 30 years ago uh neither pancetta nor parmesan ham were allowed to be imported into the u.s that goes back to the 1950s when there had been uh, some sort of uh, uh, animal disease that mm. spread around a bunch. And the U.S. government, uh, I don't want to get started too much about that, but, but uh, they, uh, they simply banned it and it stayed banned for, for decades and decades. And then all of a sudden there was this explosion of being able to get authentic Italian mm-hmm. ingredients again. And there's not one reason on earth that everybody can't get some pancetta. You can, you can have it mail ordered to you if you live in a rural area. And if not, if you live in a, a, any decent sized city mm-hmm. with an Italian community, or even maybe without one, but just with somebody who has a gourmet uh, food store, you can get them to get you some pancetta. 
Yes, and this is happening right now. You know, it's a little bit modern. Nowadays, often, as you correctly say, you can find the ingredients if you search or if you do a mail order. So in a way, there's less excuse for substituting, contaminating, and just mixing uh, due to uh, sometimes just laziness or ignorance. Uh, you know, like, yeah, it's good enough. Uh, it's going to be okay. You know, that part. Yeah, you can always experiment in your kitchen. But at the same time, I think you need to have your, your basics. And some of the basics are standards. Uh, some of these standards can be ragu or uh, mayonnaise. See, if you don't do those right, uh, I think uh, you're missing out. <laughs> right? Absolutely. I agree. I'm glad you agree. Okay, so for this uh, episode, uh, Marquette kind of drawn an interesting parallel um, in what happened in Los Angeles, uh, which transitioned uh, from Thai food to Italian food. And so uh, Mark has some theories or just some observations around this phenomenon. Is that right, Mark? Well, I was living in Santa Monica in uh, 1980. And at that time, and for 10 years on either side of that, Thai food had been all the rage. It, uh, mm -hmm. There was, uh, I think that was due in, at least in part to a large influx of, of uh, people from Thailand as part of the beginning of globalization. <laughs> and they brought a wonderful cuisine with them. It quickly caught on. Uh, recipes were frequently repeated in the uh, food magazines or the uh, food section of the Los Angeles Times. Mm -hmm. And I even went to the point of making a Musselman curry uh, from scratch with care of fresh caraway seeds. And I, I bought live crabs and so on. Uh, there's an experiment I wouldn't want to repeat. Dinner didn't get put on the table till after nine, and I was too exhausted from doing all the work. But um, <laughs> Okay, so come forward a few years, and oddly enough, the Los Angeles Times food section, which now doesn't exist uh, due to advertising dollars, but uh, at that time started covering the Mediterranean diet idea. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, and through that, the Italian food is then sort of replaced Thai food. Uh, oddly enough, unlike the place in the Midwest I'm from, which is St. Louis, which has a distinct, vibrant, and long-existing Italian community. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of my great memories was going into this Italian section of town, and there was an Italian delicatessen, and you could get a submarine sandwich, and you ordered it by the inch. Well, mm -hmm. four inches being the minimum, but, but I'd get an eight or 10 or 12-inch sandwich, and it was just you know, I mean, my mouth waters now when I when <laughs> when the memory comes to mind. It was wonderful. Um, Los Angeles has no Italian community in that sense. Mm -hmm. So somehow or other, uh, this development of this Mediterranean diet idea that one could be healthier or safer in one's food, I don't know exactly how to describe it, caught on and has continued to uh, drive restaurant dishes Every upscale restaurant in town will have some sort of pasta dish <laughs> every night of the week. I'm not going to vouch for whether it's for Maggi or for Maggio. That's <laughs> out, outside of my uh, limited knowledge of mm. it. But we have some really, uh, there was a restaurant called Girasole. Mm -hmm. and, and that was Italian and 
oh my goodness, the owner, the proprietor, I don't know his last name, his first name was Ernani, and Ernani found some other Italian fella out about 100 miles from here who had imported Italian water buffaloes and they made fresh mozzarella. That's and it. It, was just a, it was just a taste revelation. I mean, from the uh, franchise pizzas I'd had that had mozzarella <laughs> cheese on them to this thing, it was day for night. And of course, once you're hooked on these things of quality, it's hard to go back. It is. <laughs> Absolutely. That's my problem. <laughs> uh, so that's what I know about Los Angeles and, and Italian food. And uh, I hope it continues because it's a, it's a personal favorite of mine. I love mm -hmm. to cook it, even though I cook, but in the Italian style. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So you mentioned the uh, Mediterranean diet. Uh, what do you think about this diet? Is it, is it going to work? Well, I think it's a fantastic idea to uh, eat a diet that would be, I mean, when we talk about the Mediterranean, we're talking about the cradle of civilization. Mm -hmm. If we're talking Southern Mediterranean, if we're talking Northern Mediterranean or Southern Europe, then we're talking about a cuisine that goes back to the time of the Romans, mm -hmm. from which the West derives its culture, its cuisines, uh, any number of things. Um, What I, what I learned in Italy and what was so remarkable and so absolutely uh, uh, not like uh, the U.S. was the ability of the Italians to put fresh fruits and vegetables on the table. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about I couldn't go to the market here and buy some fresh bell pepper or something, but there is just something distinctive about Italy in that mm -hmm. sense. And I was just impressed. Uh, The whole reason for going to Europe was to go to Italy to eat. When I got to when I got to Bologna, which I knew to be the culinary heart of, of Italy, mm -hmm. I said to the concierge in the best Italian I could manage, and I'm not going to try it right now, but I said <laughs> I said to him, I've come to Italy to learn to eat like an Italian, and then I enumerated the courses, the antipasta, pasta, zuppa, uh, uh, prim, primi, contorni, mm -hmm. uh, 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 insulata, formaggi, and then the uh, uh, espresso, which as a kid I grew up calling espresso because I spelled E-X-P, not E-S-P. It's a common mistake, yes. <laughs> so, well, it was, I don't know when we changed it here in the U.S., but just one day, boom, like that, the, it, it went from the E-X to the E-S, and it stayed oh. E-S ever since. So Maybe it was like a play in words because it's sort of quick. Well, express. yeah, I, I, that I know little of the history of. I, I am going to try and dodge that question there, Bob. <laughs> But you said uh, in our conversation that you may know something about history uh, in regards to the introduction of pizza. Well, oh my, yes, I, I believe I do. Because growing up again in St. Louis, there were no pizza restaurants uh, or pizzerias, uh, as they'd be more mm -hmm. properly uh, called. Uh, in fact, there was Tony's in downtown St. Louis, perhaps the fanciest restaurant in, in the city. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were quite famous for making what they call toasted ravioli. So they would make the ravioli and wipe a little olive oil on them and run them under the broiler. And they'd come out mm. 
uh, toasted and then they'd sauce them and so on. And of course, all these recipes came from Italy, from family recipes. I, there were no conglomerates in the 1940s, mm-hmm. 40s and 50s, not in the sense that, uh, I, I mean, certainly there were conglomerates, but they didn't have restaurants in that mm-hmm. sense. This uh, uh, McDonaldization of things is uh, <laughs> relatively new, and I eat at McDonald's. I like McDonald's food. I don't think it's uh, a bad thing, but uh, at the same time, uh, I'm glad that uh, what food culture America has uh, came around in the way it did, because otherwise, uh, we'd I actually think Sbarro was uh, mm. Italian cuisine, which is uh, like a, a food court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know uh, shopping mall. It's a not not very good food. Period. Well, I'm getting way off the topic of, of yeah, your question. Let's go back to pizza. So there were no pizzerias in St. Louis, and then all of a sudden, Frank Sinatra, the uh, actor and and singer mm-hmm. who is Italian or Italian American, uh, was seen on television uh, eating pizza. Mm and uh, extolling it and there's even a picture at the farmer's market in los angeles <laughs> okay um, yeah so there's the picture of him from the 1950s with the pizza in his hand with his rat pack friends and it was after that that there was sort of a, a pizza explosion in america and not too many years after that like mm. three or four uh shaky's pizza opened which was very strange, uh, good, good enough food. I mean, wholesome, not, nothing wrong with it, but mm-hmm. um, but was not authentically Italian. It was simply something that they had probably test marketed and found that Americans would like yeah. and, and spend money on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so come forward 50-ish years from that time, and uh, now near me there's a, a restaurant calling itself 800 degrees and they specialize in pizza and they will for an extra five bucks put freshly flown in mozzarella cheese on your pizza fantastic uh, so you're saying that uh, it was sinatra so in a way a celebrity who advertised it so maybe uh, somebody as recognizable iconic as frank sinatra actually did the trick uh, i i believe that well, I, that's that's my theory of it, and I'm I'm sticking to it. I'm not yeah. going to change my mind unless I see. Now, I know there was a little Italy in in New York City. Uh, I know that predates uh, pizza in America or pizzerias sure. yeah. in, in America, but nonetheless, I think it was Sinatra uh, who uh, was seen uh, doing this. And and Frank Sinatra had the type of personality where he liked doing things like this. He liked to point up his a- Italian ancestry. Uh, which is a, a, a noteworthy and noble thing to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time I was in eighth grade, so I would have been 12 years old. I'm not going to say what year this is, <laughs> but I remember a, a, what we call a snow day back in our, the Midwest of the, of the U.S. here. And the school was closed, so I got my parents to drive me over to my childhood friend's house with a, a pizza-making kit, and lo and behold, uh, we we put together the uh, the uh, pie and then we put the sauce on it and put it in the oven and I remember eating it. What is a pizza making kit? You have to forgive me. <laughs> well, a pizza making kit at that time, and I'm not going to be able to discuss the uh, rise in popularity of pizza through that. But the supermarket sold because I had more than one of them a little box and in it was some flour, 
mm-hmm. and some some yeast. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, you would mix that with water and then turn it into dough and then let, let it rest and then roll it out into a, a round shape for a pizza. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, um, it was part of that uh, line of uh, modernization of, of the kitchen, I suppose. Do you think it was in line with that phenomenon? Well, it probably was intended to be, but given that it took 90 minutes for the for the dough's first rise before you could roll right. out the dough, that was hardly... Uh, <laughs> in fact, that's that, when I asked my mother to do that at home because I wanted to make pizza for dinner, mm-hmm. uh, she said no, <laughs> just a flat-out no. Um, uh, let me, uh, if I may, I'm going to talk for a moment about... Uh, so I was in Milano, mm-hmm. uh, and... When I got to Milan, I walked out of the train station, the Stazione Centrale, the central station. But I took took the wrong door. Mm -hmm. I went out the side door and I ended up uh, uh, in a uh, hotel. And every time the train went by, the the bed shook. (laughs) But but I would not trade that experience for anything. And so I would walk away from the uh, that place to uh, to see the sights of Milan. Mm-hmm. And I came across a little uh, uh, trattoria. Mm-hmm. And this was probably the best food memory I have in all of Italy, was to go into this restaurant and say to the, the, the waiter after I was seated, I've come to Italy to learn to eat in the Italian style. And then I recited the seven courses to him again. Mm-hmm. Well, for some reason or other, this made them happy. <laughs> and I, I don't know why, but in the middle of the meal of bringing the courses, they invited me into the kitchen oh, and they showed me some things. And then when I came and sat down, there was on the table a little a, a bit of grappa, which uh-huh. I'd never had in my life. Mm-hmm. And they said, this will uh, help with the next course or with the rest of the meal or whatever. <laughs> and so I swallowed it whole, not knowing what it was. And uh, it was quite, quite uh, well. It's inflammatory because it's an alcohol. Yes. And and but 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 those those were the sweetest, kindest, nicest people, and I couldn't believe that they would take. You know, I they it was obvious I could not speak decent Italian to them, and they and I did deliberately try to go where that doesn't uh, cater to the English language clientele. Mm-hmm, of course. I wanted to be in, in, in Italy. I didn't want to be in a substitute Italy where you can have a McDonald's or something like that. <laughs> you if, probably can. Uh, yes. You probably can, but that's uh, a failure from my, <laughs> from my foodie perspective. Absolutely, Mark. And they probably got that. They caught that from you, and, and that's how they, you got them to open up. And to bring your grappa was uh, a very, very kind gesture. And that's what they do to their friends. But it started with you being curious about the real deal, about the fact that you wanted to eat like an Italian, being open about that, which I think is the, the best way uh, to travel um, as a foodie. Uh, you need to be open to what you're going to find and, and embrace that instead of trying to recreate something that you already know. So this is, a, I think, I, I really commend you for that. that that's, that's awesome. And that's, uh, that's how I would like to be. I don't know if I'm, I'm there yet, but that's what I, 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 I would like to be, absolutely. Uh, Mark, as usual, I have to say at this point, we've been talking for quite some time. <laughs> so unfortunately, our time is up for this episode, but we can definitely connect again if you want and talk some more. Talk about your experience in Italy, for instance. I'm sure there's more stories. 
well, I would like to do that. And I just never write a blog or do something like this. This is new. I've never uh, mm-hmm. uh, done a, uh, a, a podcast a, a podcast before. But uh, I, I want to leave the, the listener with something in the way of a recipe because otherwise all we've oh. done is just to enjoy each other's company. And <laughs> so if uh, I can direct you people to, to look at Danger Men Cooking and then search for Cherub Tomatoes and you'll find a recipe that, while not really Italian, is so in Italian inspired that I'm very proud of it. And I, uh, if you make it, leave a, leave a comment, even if you don't like it, I'm willing, I'm willing to accept any comments whatsoever. Fantastic. I'll definitely put the link in there so that people will find it more easily. I uh, very much enjoyed our chat, Mark. It was a great pleasure. Uh, have a good afternoon. And again, uh, let's arrange for another episode soon. Ciao. <laughs> Ciao. Buon pomeriggio.